Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. Episode 94. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. This episode, we are joined by return guests, Rob and Corinne from Pratt Brewing Company. And we previously had them on episode 63, Married to Home Brewing. And since then, you guys have had big developments. So welcome back to you all. Thank you guys. We're so excited you could join us again and and talk about what, what's been going on in the past. I think it's been a year and a half, maybe almost two years yeah. since we last chatted with you all. So the biggest news, I think, at least that we're aware of, is that you guys went from home brewing to opening your own brewery. We did. We, uh, we took the steps and we decided to finally take that plunge and open the business and make it fit to our lifestyle. And for those that don't know, we're in Spring Grove, Illinois which is about 65 miles northeast of Chicago. Um, so, yeah. And it's great that you are able to keep your home brewing name as well and the same kind of logo and everything else. Was that always part of the plan when you came up with Pratt Brewing Company or that's just it kind of worked out for you guys that you were able to keep your name? You went through the process of getting that name uh, copyrighted and trademarked. So we wanted to open up a brewery probably about four years ago. So when we talked to you guys, we were already hoping that we could do that at some point. We had our son, which kind of puts a, <laughs> put a pause to that. <laughs> so it just kind of shifted plans a little bit. So when we originally came up with our logo and that artwork and all the branding and all of that, right, we sat down and did the whole gamut of what's your mission statement what's the feel of your business mm -hmm. how do you want right so we we took a day off work and kind of went to a brewery of course and mm -hmm. sat down and wrote all that stuff out so it was pretty much thought through at the home brewing phase so when we transitioned into the brewery it made it pretty seamless and so talking a little bit rob on that transition from a, being a home brewer and having your home brewing set up to a commercial space what's your setup like now do you have additional plans with your setup? Just tell us a little bit about where you're at and where you hope to be. Yeah, so uh, it actually, it's 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 funny because when we first talked about it, we were going to take our half barrel spike system that we had at home and we we're going to move it into the space and we were going to start with that. I mean, technically, we did move it into the space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. It's now a very um, large paperweight. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. much. Yeah. So we were going to start with that. And actually what happened was we were looking online and we found a deal. Uh, it was actually located in Idaho, but it was one of the first uh, spike nano systems that was built and sold. It was a place that was going to open doors. Uh, I, I'm, I'm unaware of the name of what they were going to be, but they were going to open doors and they ended up never kind of going through with it. Hmm. And so the company that bought the building acquired the equipment and they were a coffee company. And so they had no use for it. And we were kind of talking back and forth and the equipment had, had never really been used. So, uh, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll pack it up and, you know, skid it up and ship it to, uh, ship it to you. And so ultimately that's what we did. We ended up moving to the one barrel spike nano system, which has been a lot of fun, a little bit of a learning curve, but it's been a lot of fun. The nice thing is the spike has just been really great to work with. So like we got this equipment and we, we talked with them and they actually, they, they do a faceplate on your mesh gun. Mm -hmm. uh, with your branded logo on it. And since we got it, it's blank because the place that got it never did it. They're like, if you drive it up here, we'll totally do it for you. So oh, wow. they branded it for us and like helped us through some things. So um, they've been super awesome to work with, with the equipment, plus the learning of the 
smaller system, right? You already kind of got that just of how their product uh, works. So the nano, it's just the efficiencies and the um, the beer produced out of the nano is very interesting for us. Interesting so. being a, a <laughs> learning curve, but a, a solid learning curve, or are you saying interesting in that it's not as polished as you would think with a nano system? And that's just in I, general. I love it because I can find the efficiency gains of doing it. So I didn't brew on the uh, smaller system all that much. When we went to the nano, we almost brew everything together now, which is really nice because we have a space, right? We we make it intentional to brew together. And so I can find all of the, right, how to move the hoses, when to do this, to gain all of your efficiencies, to be the most uh, fluid during a brew day. But ultimately, and Rob, you probably will touch on this too, our beer, so we'll brew the same recipe, size, but, you know, scale it up to be in the nano system. And it it comes out, the grain flavors come out way more predominant in um, our brews out of this equipment, which is very interesting. Uh, we, we could not change a single thing except scaling the recipe up and that the grain flavor comes through pretty, pretty strong in a good way. Just now we have to retweak our recipes a little bit to sometimes actually tone it down. Yeah, that's re- that is interesting, and that's I think that's a great way of describing it, of being interesting. You would think the opposite would be true, of you might be lacking in flavors going from a homebrew recipe to then scaling it up to the commercial level. But I think that's really interesting that you said it brings out different flavors or more enhanced flavors from your grains that's using the same scaled up recipe. So a perfect example is the Mexican lager that uh, I think we discussed that on the last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had some of that. You had sent us some of that, and that was probably one of our favorite beers that we've still had to date they didn't send it and magically appeared in our house james <laughs> i mean we yeah we we wished it in our mash tun in our you know fermenter it and just then showed, it just up showed up and it was magic like, magic yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. some homebrewing uh, magic happened yes yeah so like with that recipe right there's uh i forget what the percentage is it's like 20 or 25 percent flaked corn in there And when we scaled that up and we did that here, we kept the percentages the same, but holy smokes, did that flake corn really come through in that final product? Like it was, it was good, but the balance between that and the, you know, the rest of the grains and Mm -hmm. the hops, it wasn't as polished as, as what we had done at home. Still good, still very good. Everybody loved it, but we got a little bit more tweaking on that one to do so. So there's obviously been some adjustment with the systems that you're using. What other challenges have you run into since going from that homebrew to the I would call production side. I would go with a uh, time, right? Just finding the time. So, right, Rob and I still work full time at our current jobs, and then we come here and we brew here. And the way this brewer, our brewery operates is a little unconventional. I, I would say actually a lot unconven- unconventional <laughs> compared to other breweries. So, I think uh, we don't have an open tap room because we can't man it, right? So. I've always said to Rob, if I can't be with our customers and be here to enjoy that experience with them, then I don't want the doors open yet because I I really do enjoy that time. So we are just kind of doing a, we brew, we can, we sell online and then we do pickups at the brewery. So we'll see our customers there and, you know, we're able to share conversations there. We do short pours here. We have a little kegerator here and a very small one and a half gallon uh, keg here that we fill and do the short pours from. But for us, if it's the time factor. Mm-hmm. It's always, you know, either someone to watch our son or we split up and one brews and one doesn't, or we take a vacation day or holiday weekends work real nice. <laughs> so for me, that's probably the challenge. And then I've always said to Rob, like, stick and true to what we 
set as our boundaries. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say pressure because pressure sounds negative. It's, it's a lot of good intentional conversation of wanting us to be bigger and more um, mm-hmm. by our, our people, our consumers. And we just like, we got to stick our grounds and do what we can and do what's right for us. Cause nothing's going to ruin this for me at least quicker than me doing something I can't manage. Right. So as soon as this becomes stressful, it's going to lose its fun. And yeah. that's something I just want to stick true to. Yeah. I think you made a really great point that I think a lot of people that go into the industry kind of don't think about, or if they do, they'd rather just, all right, well, I'll just pay people to do it. And just because that's what the people want, I'm going to go big, you know, from the start or they're asking for it. So I'm just going to give it, but I might not be able to deliver in the way that my mission statement is. So I think energy is a great way of describing not pressure, but you have that energy about the community that they're so excited about your product, which is good. That means you're doing something right from the start that you have a good product and that they see that um, just by doing can pours alone. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about community, and we've always talked about it on this podcast with homebrewers and how much of a community and everyone's so welcoming. Can you talk a little bit about how your community has really embraced you guys as the new guys on the block with the craft brewery? Why don't you talk a little bit about what it's been like? You know, it, it's funny. We've always felt that the homebrewing community was just almost like a a, a brotherhood, right? Like everybody just kind of everybody's great to work with and great to talk to and they're always willing to help even when we started this journey with starting the licenses and all that i mean even other breweries in the area have just been super helpful and for for example there's a brewery i don't know maybe 20 minutes 20 minutes from us ninth hour brewing in lake villa the owner of that brewery is operating kind of like a i think it's called an alternating proprietorship where they brew out of another brewery called harbor Brewing, Mm -hmm. and when we, when he first found out about us, he started reaching out via email and like introduced himself and hey, whatever you need, I'm here to help. And I think on our very first brew day, we hear the door open and and uh, this guy walks in, introduces himself, and he just came to pay a visit and check in on us and offer a hand and offers knowledge and help. And hey, you ever need any ingredients? You ever need yeast hops? Let me know. And we did our first uh, festival for over the 4th of July. So it was the first like us pouring live, right. And having that experience. And he reached out the morning of just from following us on social, right. Saw that it was coming up, reached out morning of and was like, Hey, good luck today. You know, I hope you guys kill it. Blah, blah. If you need some, let me know. And jokingly, I told Rob, I was like, yeah, text him if he's got ice. I love it. Cause I hate getting ice. Like it's just such a pain. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, he's like, oh, yeah, we do. We have an ice maker. I got a ton. I'll bring you. And he brought three massive coolers of ice to us. And I was wow. like, no, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, like, just pulls up at the festival where we're unloading and gives us ice. And he's like, what else do you guys need? And we're like, oh, my gosh. That, like, awesome. how amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's nice because it's not a cutthroat environment, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. Everyone's out to help everybody else, right? We're all trying to have fun doing what we love. And right, no one's going to do it the same way. So it's not like I'm trying to take down someone else's, you know, I make a Kolsch and you make a Kolsch. Right. Like mine's better than yours. No, like, how did you do yours? What did you do? How did that turn out? What was your experience? Right. So there's a lot of those educational conversations more so than the, I want mine to be better than your kind of conversation. Yeah, that's, that's really cool aspect. And I think it's definitely something that's relatively new in the grand scheme of the industry of realizing like, hey, if there's more breweries in the area, people are more likely to stop in at mine than if it's just us in, you know, there's no one to talk about those breweries uh, to get, really get those customers in the door. 
and to use that education i mean that's a huge saver for you guys as well of ha having that knowledge that they might have had same obstacles and it saves you from having to spend all that time to kind of figure out the same thing that they might have already figured out yeah that's been the, that's, that's been the really nice thing the hard thing that i think we um kind of went through is a lot of the licensing we while yes we did reach out to people here and there i feel like we did a lot of the licensing blind right we didn't get as much support as mm -hmm. like i look at it and if i knew someone was going from homebrew to like production brewing or commercial brewing i would probably that would be my first thing that like, do you need help figuring out the licensing because it is crazy so like let me like i would download that to someone right here is like first step start here because while that's going you can do this but while that's going you have to wait for mm -hmm. this so um no i don't feel like we got that guidance so a lot of that was us digging around ourselves and it's just because we weren't part of that community yet so you just didn't have those networks and that relationship to like ask someone but if you're a home brewer and you already have those commercial brewing net like network built because you have a buddy that has a commercial brewery or something that i would definitely tap into that yeah i think that can be a big challenge and kind of a deterrent for people as well i know we've talked about you know in the future like would we ever want to open our own brewery and that's always part of the conversation as well it's it can be hard and stressful and difficult to get those licenses and also like get approval from the town and do all of those legal things that are necessary in order to to start the brewery and that can be a big roadblocker for people so i think really encouraging other home, either home brewers turn commercial brewers or commercial brewers to help out others in the community like you said it's not a rivalry thing there's nothing like we're not Willy Wonka, no is stealing the recipes of other people. So I think that's just a big thing to really champion is homebrewers helping homebrewers and commercial brewers helping homebrewers, vice versa. Well, and it's it's so vague, the legal stuff, right? You read it and it's it to me it's not very black and white. It's it's like if you do this, it would be this. Or if you do this, you could do this. But we're right in that middle ground, especially right, we don't have a tap room. Mm -hmm. So we're just it's do I go with this license? Do I go with this license? What does that look like? So, and then if I do that, what am I allowed to do? Where mm -hmm. can I not do something? It's, you know, and all the insurances and stuff like that. So just all of that gets really confusing when you start looking at it to make sure, because you want to make sure you're covered, but you want to make sure like you're not over covering because <laughs> you don't want to be spending money frivolously. So it's figuring all that out, I think. I mean, Rob handled a lot of that and he did a really good job with it. But the little parts I was reading, I was like, I, I don't know. I'm yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the same way. I'd be like, what? What is, yeah. I don't even, I don't even know what this means. And I, I'm sure different in every state as well, too, because each state like Massachusetts has different liquor laws and regulations around what you, where, how far a brewery can be from a school and those types of things. And I'm sure it's different in every state, like the actual distances and everything like that. So it's even tough if you know someone who is open to commercial brewing, but they're in a different state, like, is it the same? So it's, I feel like it's just all over can be confusing. I, I will say, so the village of Spring Grove, we're technically the first brewery in Spring Grove, Illinois. So they were really excited when we approached them and they have been hands down amazing to work with. So they've been really, really supportive. 
the lady that works at the main portion of the village, she actually typed me out a whole timeline, right? You're going to go to this village meeting. I need these paperwork by you, like from you at this time. And then if that comes back with a revision, I need that revision done at this date. And then this is your time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. She drinks for free now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. The first member of the mug club, the village mug club. They, they just have been, and they continue to be super supportive. Um, they pretty much anything we want to be a part of, they're really open for us to be a part of it. So they have an Oktoberfest coming on here in, uh, in about a month or so. So we're like, yeah, we'd love to jump on that if you don't mind. They're like, yes, please come, bring whatever you want, do, right? <laughs> so they've been really, really great to work with. Um, and, I mean, the community has people and consumers and customers concerned. They've been amazing amazing just the feedback and like most of the feedback's good Uh, we've had people actually come in with good critiques and i was like yes thank you love that noted like thank you like we want that honest um feedback or what did you get from that beer or what flavors did that pull out for you right because everyone's palate's different so what we might be able to be tasting in there other people can or won't or Mm -hmm. however it may work there's we brewed something just recently and rob's like i can't taste that i'm like are you crazy so, right, the, everyone's palate's a little different. I think it was the key lime pie sour, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds delicious. We used a bunch of graham cracker, and I think it was 20 pounds of graham, cra- graham cracker crumbs, and, like, I couldn't taste it. Everybody's like, are you crazy? It's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you're talking about the ingredients, too, in, the, in these beers, have you found that that's been a challenge going from a home brewing scale to now how much you have to produce of, are you having issues with CO2 or finding hops or has it been pretty steady where you're at, where you're able to get what you need to brew? I feel like you just hit the nail on the head with that one. We <laughs> talked about that before talking with you guys. We just were mentioning this. You know, we're not quite big enough to really take advantage of, of buying, you know, sacks of grain and having mm-hmm. them shipped in. So that's a little bit of a challenge. We're still kind of, you know, we're buying sacks, but we're, we're still going through, um, there's a, a, a homebrew shop in Libertyville, um, perfect brewing supply. And uh, Andy over there has been great to work with. We we use him for everything. Great communication. You know, he's always kind of, we're trying to give him as much notice as possible so that he can order stuff early on. He's super great to work with and when it comes to grains and CO2 and even cans now. We started going through him for cans just because October, we used to buy him from October directly. Um, but that that pricing just got a little bit too high just with their shipping costs. Right. Well, because our, our location doesn't have like a shipping dock here because we are so small that for me to buy pallets of anything, right, no one's going to like to deliver to me. So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we can't like go and buy pallets of cans, which is where you get to see that cost savings, right, when you buy in that little bit of a bigger uh, shipment. But um, working with Perfect Brew, they've been really good about Hey, you know, if you guys do this, you'll save on and they'll price it out and say the way you're, what you're asking for is going to be X. But if I buy it like this, you're going to get a little bit more and your price can be this. But in the long run, it's a good cost savings for you guys. So they've been watching out for us in that regard too. Just while we're learning, right. They've been kind of sharing their learnings of supply chain and what they're buying to us as well. Yeah. That's definitely a great story to learn from too, of, you know, people think you have a craft brewery, so you just go ahead and there's some big distributor that you just get everything and you have no problems with finding ingredients. It's like, no, like you still have to figure it out. And I'm kind of glad that you guys are still utilizing that homebrew shop because you're giving, it's a mutual respect, right? You're still giving them the business 
and they're really helping you out because it fits your unique situation at the moment. So I think that's awesome that you're still using the homebrew shop. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, we called them at one point. We're like, listen, guys, are we are we being a pain in the butt? Like, you want us to go somewhere else? And they're like, absolutely not. They're like, as long as you're okay with this communication and the open, you know, lines back and forth, we are perfectly happy to help you guys out. So yeah, it's been it's been really great. Yeah, that's a great relationship to hone. And like we've talked about in the past, homebrew shops are becoming far and few between. So I'm sure you know you're helping them out too, and just still being their customer and not going to those other suppliers at the moment. So. Yeah, that's a great relationship to have. So kind of circling back to the events, you guys had your first village event. So we did our first village event in July and we did, uh, we actually kegged, which we bought our first Sankey kegs as well, which was, that was, that was exciting. (laughs) (laughs) There was some hesitation before the, that was exciting, meaning there must have been some learning curve involved in that. That's awesome. Um, it probably was the first time we really reached out to the um, commercial brewing industry network. We couldn't wash them because we don't have a keg washer for Sankey Kegs. So we were like, how are we going to get these clean without taking all the spears out and tearing them down? Mm-hmm. Um, so we did reach out to a couple breweries to see like, hey, is there a way we can use your guys' keg washer? I, you know, apologize in advance. We're new. <laughs> we're the new kids on the block. Um, we're trying to figure this out. So we actually met with um, the owner of uh, Whole Soccer Brewing in Woodstock, Illinois, last night. And he's like, you know what? I built my home. He's like, I'll send you the details. I'll show you how it hooks up. I'll give you the guidelines. It was relatively cheap. And we're like, uh, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we did, uh, we did kegs for that event. And we brought five kegs. So five half barrels uh, with us, and we kicked them in probably four hours, three hours. I think it was four, four, wow. hours, four and a half hours. So good. It was a good response. It was really nice because we are so unconventional that you can't just you know pop in and try our beers. So it was mm-hmm. really nice to do an event where it gave us that opportunity to. So someone didn't. It, right, it's so non-committal, right? You're mm-hmm. at an event, you're gonna drink anyways. Might as well have one of yours and try it. So that way, I'm not, you know. I'm not buying four pack of cans. And then if I don't like it and I'm stuck with the kind of thing. Yeah. So that was really nice. And then we just did a, it was the first annual craft beer festival here in spring Grove. Um, and so we did that yesterday and we did cans for that. So we brought can to pour can support of mm-hmm. that just cause we don't own our own jockey box yet. So we rented for the one event. And so we will probably most likely buy one to just have to keep doing the kegs at the events. But um, we had enough cans to be able to support because it was a smaller event. Uh, so it's really, really that's, so the first event was just us as a brewery there. And then the village was selling like their canned beers. This is the first event we did with other breweries and it was really cool. Um, it really opened the door to start that networking, yeah. right? You're alongside now with, uh, with that network, um, in line with them, talking the same spiel that they are. It was a very cool feeling. And I think you posted that video of, I believe, that beer fest on your Instagram or was that the the village event where you're at the tent and there was just loads of people all around and it looked like you guys were having so much fun. Yeah, that was the that was the fourth of July event. Um, my sister in law, Corinne's sister, is uh is a marketing director up in Michigan. So she uh, she helps a lot with some of our stuff and so she took that video in the midst of it and 
uh, I'm really glad you did because it kind of captured the moment, you know, interacting with customers and, you know, seeing how things are going and just how, how excited we were for it. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have uh, have family that knows what they're doing because <laughs> <laughs> she, she gets there and she's like, how are you decorating your booth? And I was like, I, I, I got you this <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, no. She's like, here. She like went into the brewery and grabbed a bunch of like knickknacky things. I was like, what is this? She's like, I got this. It's fine. <laughs> she like went and set it all up. It looked, it looked great. And I was like, wow, you so know what you're doing. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Gotta use. And then at one point at the Fourth of July thing, she's like, what are you guys doing? Where is your tip jar? We're like, there's no money being exchanged. It's tickets. We don't need tip jars. She's like, get out of here. Like, she <laughs> set up a tip jar and people started putting you know tips in there, and she was just. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we can use the help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something most people wouldn't even think about, right? And it's like, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this to have the event and to have fun and to share our beer and our passion. And it's like, well, you can just have it there. And if people want to, they can. Well, it was really nice because we ended up, so we had another couple with us. They actually are the, they're friends of ours. Both of them are friends of ours. And they actually help us can almost every can we fill they're here that night filling them with us. So they actually were at the event helping pour and they were one really excited because they got to finally have interaction with customers. Mm -hmm. So like, wow, this is really cool. And I was like, I know. Right. <laughs> but um, what we did is we took all the tips and gave it to them. Right. So oh, like, we, right, like you said, like we get paid for the event. So I don't need like, right. So we pass all every tip we got, we pass along to them saying like, you know, I know it's, not a ton, but right. Thank you for what you guys do for us all the time. So yeah, yeah they have a they have a one year old daughter, so they oh my gosh get her with her mom, and they come here on weekday nights until about eight o'clock at night, and they're canning, and they don't ask for anything; they just want to help, and so uh, you know that that means a lot to us, and and they're helping our business and helping us, and so we wanted to kind of repay that a little bit. Plus, they're like, it's a date night for us, but you have to, we get a babysitter, we get to come hang out. Yeah, remember when you're old, we're like, hey, what can we do? We'll uh, we'll help you move. <laughs> Funny thing is, is they did that too. <laughs> That's great. So since you guys have opened, what have you found, either which beer or which style is your most popular with the customers? It's been interesting. I will say there hasn't been like a single style that has been more popular. What I will say is that we found that the local crowd are not huge into sours and like the, the overly hoppy IPAs. So things like our brown. An easy drinker, yeah. right? Yeah. They like mm. flavorful, don't get me wrong, but easy to drink. So yeah, our brown, the Mexican lager. Even the coffee porter went pretty well. Um, Did that surprise you when you opened? Did you think that those two styles would be popular or kind of based off of the area that you're in and what you've seen at other breweries, was it kind of just like, Oh, okay. I guess that's why other places don't sell them as often. We weren't, we weren't sure. I don't think, I think for, for me personally, I love hazy IPAs. I love the new England IPAs. I love all, all those styles. And so like, I was super pumped to make them. I'm like, Oh, people are going to love it. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the biggest hit. And same thing with the sours, like as much as, Corinne hates it. I buy a lot of beer off of Tavour. And uh, a lot of those are the hazies and the heavily fruited sours. And so I'm like, yeah, we got to start doing more of these. But, you know, we got to try these. And they just, people are apprehensive about it. Mm -hmm. um, the cool thing is, is, so we've done two sours since we've been here. And the first one was the key lime pie sour. And it didn't sell. But when people came to pick up, because we did that with the 
Irish Red. So we did both of those for St. Patrick's Day. We did an Irish Red and then a Key Lime Pie Sour. And so when people bought the Irish Red and they came here, we're like, you want to try the sour? You can. We still have more for sale. And then they just, we sold out through the pickups. Because when people tried it, they're like, that's really good. So I think it's not that people don't like sours. I think they just don't know what it Mm -hmm. is per se. So Shannon, you like sours, right? I I do. Yeah. If you like them, you like them. And so I think if you haven't been exposed to them Mm -hmm. or it's hard to get into it because it sounds so Mm off-putting and sometimes, right? People don't think of beer being that way. Yeah. So yeah. And then we did a second sour that I think went over really, really well. Cause I, I said to Rob, I was like, once we do one sour and get people to try sours, when we do more sours, it will be, some people will know what to expect then. Mm-hmm. So we did a uh, berry milkshake sour and that went pretty good. But again, right. Those flavorful, bright, exciting kind of beers like that. Like Rob said, I think people are a little bit more apprehensive to commit to that. Yeah, I think that's a smart idea, too, of offering it to people and letting them try it and say, you know, this is not what you expected it to be, and really opening their palate to those types of, of beers. So I think that's just the smart marketing. Yeah, I think sours is definitely one of those categories where it's so general that you really have to get creative with how you describe your sour because if you see sour on a menu and you're someone like myself, I would just pass on it just because it's called a sour. But there's yeah. all different categories within a sour of you either get some of those like farm kind of flavors in a sour like that funky sour or you have you know your more traditional sours of you know you're going to get those very citrusy flavors that's just it hits your palate and you're just like oh wow like I think I'm going to explode with all this flavor that I'm getting so it's really (laughs) it's one of those things where it's you kind of have to try different ones to see and you know it might just not be for that person's palate and that's fine but I think that's great that you're offering a little bit when they do can pickups to kind of give that awareness of okay I've now experienced this particular sour yeah agreed yeah the nice part about our business model right is that we're selling by the can so if somebody wants to try it they can buy just one can you know so Mm -hmm. They're not committing to a full four pack or, or six pack, whatever. Um, so I, I think we found quite a few people actually take advantage of that by just getting one or two something. Yeah. And I think, again, you're going to keep learning and learning as you go. And we've kind of seen it on the homebrew stage of what's kind of been popular to brew or what styles craft breweries seem to be offering. And, you know, I think now you guys probably have more of an understanding than we do of, okay, well, now we're actually living it we're actually a craft brewery and we may want to put more sours on or we may want to have more hazy ipas but the market is just telling us you know a certain direction of well we could we can still do it because it makes us happy but we want to really have something on the table for the people that consumers that are coming in yeah definitely and i think once we can open tap room and right have more offerings at once we would do a repeat sour or have a sour always on because we mm-hmm. like them but right now because we are limited to the two right roughly two beers a month that we're doing two sours in a year that's still you know two months out of the year that we're doing them mm-hmm. right and we'll probably do another one i think before the end of the year so i mean you're still consuming a good portion of your time doing them but until we can have a whole gamut right on tap it's just sometimes it's not worth it for it right yeah i think in our area in massachusetts we've seen more and more of a transition away from the IPAs and they're now going into lower ABV beers 
going back to the traditional roots of lagers, light lagers, still flavorful and adding fruit to those lighter ABV beers to kind of make sure that mouthfeel is still there for those IPA drinkers. But I definitely see a curve. It's starting to turn a little bit. And I'm a little worried because I love those hazy IPAs. So, <laughs> um, But I do appreciate those older styles, which is great. You know, the Swartz beers and the Box and, and all those regular just light lagers that for so many years it's just been big beer that's made those light lagers. And it's like, all right, well, I don't want a light lager because that's what it tastes like. Nope, you can make a delicious light lager uh, that's totally different from the big guys. And it's one of those things that... I think it's coming back. So I think that'll be interesting to see if we ask you in a year or two from now of what you guys have in your tap room and what you guys like to drink. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's always a joke with us because uh, when we first met and started like really kind of diving further into the craft beers, we both uh, tended to go more towards like some of those Oak Age sours, you know, the higher ABV sours, the, the hazy IPAs. And, and now I, you know, Current and I will talk, and she'll be like, I just want a solid lager or something easy like that. I'm like, what happened? Like, you went the other way. <laughs> we, w- we went to a craft beer festival. They actually did it in the museum. It was at the Science and Industry Museum in Chicago. It was really cool. cool. We did a, they had a craft beer festival inside there. All I kept thinking is, I was like, the insurance to do this must be outrageous because you have drunk oh, people yeah. Oh, yeah. around all of this stuff. This is insane. <laughs> but they, uh, there was one place that killed a Kolsch. They had a Kolsch and it was great. And I was like, this is by far the best one, like best beer in this entire festival. Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, a Kolsch. You're yeah. picking a Kolsch. And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you sound yeah. just like me. Like when I go into some breweries and they basically have you sitting right with the tanks like open and you're like, all it takes is someone to just get curious and pop open that sample (laughs) port and there goes all their beer and there's the liability. And she's like, no one's going to do that. I'm like, no, there will be someone who does that. (laughs) But she's like, all right. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. She's like, you're thinking too much. I'm like, no, it's just, I'm just pointing it out that I wouldn't necessarily make that choice, but sure. They want to make that choice. (laughs) Risk they're willing to take apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I think I was saying I had this beer at Epcot where it was a 2.9% and it was a raspberry, they they call it, it was in Germany and it was a raspberry rattler, they said. And it was kind of like a mix of kind of like a lining kugels, but it was like a raspberry. But I was blown away that that beer was only 2.9%. And it was my favorite, one of my favorite beers to date. So I would love to get my hands on that recipe. But something wow. like that is just incredible. Like it just, I was like 2.9, there's no way 2.9. Because I've had many beers that are that low, and they're just they're lacking in mouthfeel or flavor. But this was just incredible, and that's something I think would be great to have on tap is almost like a table beer. Um, have one beer that's you know you call your table beer, and whether it's a Belgian style or a lager, like something light that anybody would really want to drink. And that really speaks to like the skill of those brewers, right? If they can take something to make that and make it still have those characteristics that you're looking for, like the mouthfeel, like you talked about. That's uh. Yeah, that takes some work. Yeah, someone someone in Germany was very good uh, in making that <laughs> that beer because it was from a brewery in Germany. But yeah, if you guys happen to go to Epcot, if it's still there, just definitely give it a try. <laughs> the hidden gems of Epcot. You the never would have thought you'd find I that never, at Epcot. I, I never would have. Nope, not in a million years. So we're t- talking about home brewing again, going back full circle here. Do you guys still homebrew or would you just say you guys are just homebrewing with more stuff? (laughs) (laughs) 
I we brewed a we brewed a beer here for our home. If that counts. <laughs> <laughs> because why would you brew at home when you have the system that, that you work at, right? That's it well, seems to be a. The other one I have is a paperweight here, right? Yeah. So it's not even there. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we, we've brewed on the nano here, um, just small scale, 15 gallons, um, and brewed that to bring home. Uh, we had my son's birthday party. And so, you know, rightfully so for a four-year-old, what do you do? You brew Obviously. beers for him. So, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we did that and we had that done at home, but, um, we, we usually, if we brew, we try to put it on market here, even if it's just a little bit, right? If we decide, hey, we want to bring a five-gallon home or something, we will, but we mostly put everything out to market here. Yeah, I can imagine it's tough. I mean, with working full-time and running that operation and also your son, that's just, for me, I would be like, how would you even have time to homebrew? Like, I feel like there's not enough time in life to do it. Well, at least for me, I don't know that homebrewing was as fun. And I, I mean that in the sense of like this equipment and running this equipment is easier for me mm-hmm. and having like a space to do it in is really, really nice. So at home, right, I'm worried about water getting on the ground yeah, and yeah. make sure you squeeze you and mop that up, right? <laughs> I'm like paranoid about getting on the walls. Here it's like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll scrub the floors when we're done and it's fine. So um, for me, I find it more fun to brew here just because of that freedom Mm -hmm. that the space allows you everything, right? We have pegboards and tables and everything's where it should be. So we know, right, all of our additives, all of our water additions, right, are all laid out and available. So when we're doing that, right, you just reach over and figure that Mm -hmm. all out. And we have another area that has all of our, you know, tri-clamps and everything. So we know where everything's at. So it's just a smooth system yep. here that I don't know if I could ever do it with the uh, stress and disorganization <laughs> of home. Taking the home brewing or home out of home brewing. <laughs> There's a lot of people on Instagram that we follow that have like their home brew system is like what we have here. If we had that, I'd be game all day. But <laughs> that is not what we have. <laughs> I was going to say like that has made such a big difference in our own setup of going from a grandfather all in one system to the more traditional three vessel system, the electric, and just being able to have everything stay where it needs to be. So you just can go up and brew. Um, I agree with you. And being organized too is definitely something you don't have to worry about. All right, I got to clean up and put everything away in the closets and then, you know, yep. bring it down to the basement or bring it up to the, you know, wherever you're going to store all your stuff. So I could definitely see that being, being an added perk to having a craft brewery. Well, it's like a lot of people say, right? A lot of people have been working from home in the past few years and whatnot. And a lot of people say, right, it's really nice when they have an office because then they're in that mode, right? In my office, I know I'm in mode of working from home, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it is. Like we walk in these floors and we're in like brew mode. So it's like, you know, game on. You yeah, walk in, yeah. there's no distractions. There's not, oh, oh yeah, well, while that's heating up, I'll go take out the garbage or I'll go mm-hmm. vacuum upstairs real quick, right? Like there's none of that like, distraction here so it's a full mode and which makes it a different mindset i feel like yeah or we're downstairs and you know we have her mom come over and help with uh, watch her son you know you're downstairs you're trying to mash in and get the grains all mixed in you hear things going awry upstairs and you're trying to focus on both it's hard because you want to help with the kid but you're also trying to get something done you know with the brew Mm -hmm. it's just much nicer to have kind of isolated so I, I, I should say, right, if you if you have a homebrew setup that is conducive to that, that's where it's at. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I get that because I mean, when we, we rarely have time, we don't really homebrew together. We're usually doing solo brews because it is, you know, trying to ask someone like, Oh, can you come watch our daughter while we're doing this together? Even if we're just in the basement, it's kind of like, Hey, one of us stays with her and then the other is brewing or we kind of alternate or check on each other. So it, it, I can definitely get how that would feel freeing to be somewhere that is strictly for brewing. So what do you guys have for people who might be in the area soon or who are in the area now, but haven't checked you out? What is that coming up in the pipeline? Are you able to share what your upcoming brews are going to be? Yeah. So, um, more, uh, you know, close future, you know, next week or two, we have an Amber ale that we, uh, it's a new recipe for us. We use some interesting uh, grains in that. We used a little bit of uh, Cascade and Simcoe hops, trying to make it more of a citrusy amber. So we're we've got that coming. We've got a Belgian blonde that we're gonna that we're coming out with probably another uh, two weeks. That's a recipe we've done before. Again, this is the first time at this scale, so uh, we'll see mm-hmm. if any changes arise with that. But uh, so those are the next two. We're getting ready for Oktoberfest. We've got uh, the first batch of Marzen in the tank. So that is, uh, that's done. We're going to start, uh, you know, lagering that and letting it cold condition for a while. We're going to do a second batch of that that will be released in cans. And then we're also going to do a fest beer this year, which we haven't done one of those yet, but we're going to, you know, try to appeal to the people who like the lighter colored, the lighter colored beers and whatnot. So uh, fest beer is actually next, I think. We're actually, uh, you know, on the homebrew scale, we would always buy new yeast for every batch, right? So, uh, but on this scale, you still could do that, but it's a little bit more pricey. So we're actually going to do our first, uh, with the festival, we're going to do our first cone to cone transfer from one tank to the next to use the same yeast cake and, uh, you know, just put the fresh batch on that. So we'll see how that goes. Wow. May, who knows? You'll probably create your own house yeast coming up. Yeah. I don't know if we're there yet. Unintentional. You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. We had a guy, one of our customers came in the last time and he said that uh, he used to do that for, forget the brewery he named out, Summit Brewing, I thought. I don't know, but he used to be like a, a yeast bank manager for them. And he handled all that and he played everything. And he's like, you ever need any help with that? Let me know. Wow. And uh, I'm like, well, we're not there yet, but I'm sure we'll definitely take you up on that. Yeah, that's awesome. I think too, like I've just started getting into like the party guile and being able to use the same grains and make a lighter beer and use different yeast to make it turn out to a totally different beer. So I think that's something that you guys should try and explore a little bit too, if you have any free time and <laughs> it, it does help. It, do, it does save you some money. I'll tell you that much with those grains and I'm sure yeah. on a bigger system it does too, but yeah. And that's, that's definitely something we haven't dabbled with either. So, uh, I think we'll, I think we'll eventually try that. It'll be a little bit down the road, I think. Yeah. One step at a time, James. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Before we wrap up, is there anything, or do you want to remind our listeners where you're at and where they can find you on social media? Oh, definitely. So uh, we have a website is prepbrewing.com. On there, you'll see all of our releases. If you're local, you can sign up for the newsletter. I, uh, that's how we kind of communicate everything. I'll send out what is getting released and when it's releasing on the newsletter and then it kind of goes live online and you make purchases and then we do the in-store pickup uh, shortly thereafter the orders come in. Uh, But yeah, we're located in Spring Grove, Illinois, uh, just about 60 miles northeast of uh, Chicago. So we're right in between Milwaukee and Chicago area. So uh, yeah, come on, check us out online, uh, social media, I guess uh, Instagram is at Brett Brewing. 
and then it's Pratt Brewing uh, Company on Facebook as well. Great. Awesome. Definitely get some beers for sure. Okay. We want to say thank you for coming on again. We really appreciate you chatting with us and we're big congratulations to this monumentous development. (laughs) And we can actually say congratulations in person over, (laughs) over the airways, uh, as as we had congratulated you guys when we first found out the news that you guys were opening up. Um, so we're so happy for you both and just continue doing what you're doing and sharing the good, good brews with everybody. So thank you all for listening to this week's double happy. And don't forget, we have merch, 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 merch. Woohoo. So make sure nation. <laughs> so make sure to go over to our Instagram and click on the link to check out what we've got on our site. We'd really appreciate it. We want to see those yeast monsters out in the wild, baby. We do, for sure. And if you are a home brewer and want to come on our show and tell your story, feel free to send us a direct message on our Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and our social media platforms. It really does help us get new listeners just like you. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. This has been, been Double, Double Hot Beat. Beat. Catch, Catch you on, on the, the brew side. side. Thank you.